Welcome to Starting Small, an anti-racist book chat. This is Carrie, And this is Daphne. We are two friends who have come together over books and coffee more times than I can count. We've been in a book club together for a handful of years, but this one is a little bit different. We focus on books that have been part of our journey through advocacy and anti-racism. Thank you for joining us in the journey to change the world by starting small. Hi. On this episode, we will be returning to some nonfiction with Debbie Irving's Waking Up White. My church club, my church book club, discussed this one last summer. It was our summer read, and we did it in three sections for each month. Um, so I read it then, but I previously learned about this book from my mother-in-law, who felt like it was a book that she would get a lot of information out of. So last summer, when the the book club wanted to read it, I was very glad to hear that this was a story on their radar. And I picked it up and I actually listened to it then on audio. So it was really kind of neat to read both. Cool. I had not heard of this book, not even a little bit until you mentioned it last summer, but I'm really glad Mm -hmm. you did. I have a lot of thoughts Mm -hmm. about this book like a lot. But before we get all the way into tearing this book apart, what's new? Well, what is new? So I just finished a book today and I know this will surprise you. It took me all of this month until today to finish it. And you slipped. What's going on? Well, we had a couple of this, like we went on a weekend getaway. I took it, but didn't read it. My mom was here. I didn't do read a lot that during that time. And so I think normally I would have just kind of given up and like gotten back to it later on. But I plowed through it and I was so glad that I did. It's called The Paper Palace. I know this will shock you. It's a Reese book. Shocking. And it was so good. And it had gotten kind of like, you know, a variety of good and bad reviews. And so um, it was one that by the time I finished it earlier today, I was like thinking, usually I'm like, you know, they could have cut out like 200 pages. (laughs) This one they could not have. It needed to be as long as it was. There was never, and it was kind of a current day to the, you know, back in time and moving, you know, cause so it's kind of jumped around, which those books normally drive me crazy. Yeah. It was such a great story. Nice. Highly recommend it. So we have that. And then while we are sitting here chatting, my son is at his first behind the wheel session. Oh, Jesus, take the be, wheel. <laughs> okay. But that's going to be very freeing. It's been interesting. Like I've, he got his permit a few weeks ago in November when my mom was here. So I've been taking him out. My, and Brett's been taking him out. And just in the last week, we've ventured out of the neighborhood and like, on like the big road. Yes. So we've done Greenfield Avenue a lot. Yeah. He's gone over by his high school. He's done highway 100 Mm -hmm. and done a little bit of nighttime driving, but that's been more around here. So yeah. It's unnerving, but yeah, it is exciting. So how about you? What's Um, new with you? So nothing that exciting for me. Um, We're recording this after Thanksgiving. So Mm -hmm. we did a little family time, nothing too crazy. So that was kind of nice. Get to uh, visit some family up north. We hadn't seen their new house since they'd moved, Um, you know, because COVID and things. So um, got to be up there and spend the day. And a day is perfect Mm -hmm. amount of time for Thanksgiving get together. I don't need to hang out on the nights or anything like that but we had a good time um and i I don't know i feel like it's a blur of Mm -hmm. what i've accomplished in any given week i don't know (laughs) but i finished two books in the last week this one the one we're talking about today waking up white and also our book club book 
that we're talking about yes, next week. That'll be a good one. I started reading that one and realized I had read it a while ago. Oh, so it'll it's be a, good. Yeah, Broken by Jenny Lawson. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Yeah. And yeah. She's really great because she puts such a humorous spin on such an awful yeah. topic. Yeah. She deals with a lot of mental illness issues well, and, and, and physical physical issues yeah, yeah she's, she's a lot going on there yeah she's really great and if, if you have not heard of her she has a blog called the blog s okay that's how i first knew her and she is so funny and she <laughs> she just makes you feel like i might be going through this whole weird situation yeah. but here's how you find the humor and in, in nice. so uh, i'm looking forward to picking up our next book club book the extraordinary life of sam hell I don't know anything about it other than it was a popular book a couple years ago. Okay. A year or two ago. I should probably Um, go. So I'm looking forward to trying that out. That'll be nice. It'll be coming up soon. Nice. So a little bit about Waking Up White. Um, This was published in 2014, but this tells the author's story of her journey from white woman living in a predominantly white city surrounded by white friends over the 80s and the 90s and really this could be the story of so many of us yeah um and even though the author is in new england and we're in the midwest there's a lot that we can identify within the story for sure um and we'll dive into this a mm-hmm. bit more but i when I, I started this book the first thing that came to mind is okay this is where so many people need to start yes. because it is the story of so many so many people we know mm-hmm. and their experiences. But as always, here's the official Amazon synopsis of the book. Waking Up White is the book Irving wishes someone had handed her decades ago. By sharing her sometimes cringeworthy struggle to understand racism and racial tensions, she offers a fresh perspective on bias, stereotypes, manners, and tolerance. As Irving unpacks her own long-held beliefs about colorblindness, being a good person, and wanting to help people of color, she reveals how much of these well-intentioned mindsets actually perpetuated her ill-conceived ideas about race. She also explains why and how she's changed the way she talks about racism, works in racially mixed groups, and understands the anti-racism movement as a whole. Exercises at the end of each chapter prompt readers to explore their own racialized ideas, Waking Up White's personal narrative is designed to work well as a rapid read, a book group book, or support reading for courses exploring racial and cultural issues. All right. So you read this a while ago. What do you remember kind of standing out to you? What was a big deal to you? I think overall, what what stood out with me about this book is it felt like I could be reading my own story. Sure. I mean, I was a child in the 80s. I graduated from high school in the 90s, but I grew up in small town, you know, Wisconsin mm-hmm. on the Minnesota, Wisconsin border and a very white town. We had no, really no people of color there. Sure. Um, there is an army base nearby. So occasionally people would get stationed there and that would be kind of our only exposure to sure. other races. Someone other than, than ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. But also, my parents did a very good job because neither of them are, are from there. My mom okay. is also from a very affluent area. white area mm-hmm. in Illinois, a Chicago suburb. My dad kind of grew up all over <laughs> as his dad was in the army, you know. Sure. Um, so I don't I do always feel though that they did a good job of exposing us. Sure. But this story could have been one that I put, you know, put my pen to the paper for, because it felt like 
my childhood, you know, Crazy. my similar experiences. Yeah. How about you? Um, so like I said, this book initially when I started it made me think every person who I've ever had an argument about whether mm-hmm. um, privilege is real or racism is real needs to start with this book. Mm-hmm. And I felt that way because, yeah, I wasn't. So I'm a little bit younger than you. Um, <laughs> I graduated um, high school after the 90s, yeah. but um, not by a lot. And I did kind of feel like this is stuff that mm-hmm. my mom was feeling. I think she mentioned at one point um, in an in, in incident, and she said how old she was at the time. So the author is the same age as my mom. Okay. And so kind of going through some of the like, okay, so this would have been kind of spiraling right. as my mom was mm-hmm. growing up and like trying to think about how that would have impacted her and where she was and then how I can kind of glean some of that information mm-hmm. from. So it does really open up um, or, or she, the author really mm-hmm. opens up and talks about, you know, the things that she thought she was doing that were right. That turns out were actually very not helpful right. at all. Um, and I think those are outlined really clearly for mm-hmm. people. Um, so to me is what makes this book super worthwhile. I agree. Um, do you want to take a quick pause? Yeah, let's take a quick, quick break. All right. Before we really, really dive, dive in. in. Yes. There is a lot of discussion in the book about how family life and childhood plays into how we interact with race now. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions that she mentions, um, you know, at the end of one of the little mm-hmm. chapters, because each each little chapter, right. and the chapters are super, super short. Right. Like, really quickly, they're like four and five pages, yep. if that. Um, but all of the chapters end with, like, a question mm-hmm. that could be, like, a journal prompt if you right. were using this in a classroom or, you know, a discussion question or whatever. But one that she comes back to, like, in different versions mm-hmm. over time is essentially... Did your family ever talk about race? We, you know, I don't know that we necessarily did because being a child of the 80s, it was the whole, we don't see color, but yet it was a very open door policy in our household and no one was unwelcome. Sure. So I do recall though, a couple of instances that we still talk about where my, my grandma, my mom's mom, she grew up in Kansas city. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and she had several siblings. And one time, two of my great aunts were visiting and I had a neighbor and a good friend who was a, a black girl. And I was up in my room and she came over to hang out and my aunts came running oh, to no. the bottom of the stairs and they were like, there is a black girl at the door. What should we do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, let her up where no, she's right. here to see me. And they were, and I, I was like, that's so weird. Why? And why, <laughs> why did they keep saying like that this? if there's a black girl here? Like, it was so weird. <laughs> And it was so foreign to me. And I think it was because that we did not, yeah, we yeah. really didn't care that sure. we didn't care about things like that, that it was someone of a different race or sure. ethnicity or any of that. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. We didn't, it wasn't that we didn't talk about it, but we didn't have a, a need to, I yes. guess. I, was, I was thinking the same thing. Like we didn't talk about it from the standpoint of, right. this is how we address this. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean... I guess maybe as she kind of talks about it too, like the elephant in the room sometimes. Um, Cause I too grew up with like two black kids in Mm -hmm. my high school. Um, And the first time I met one of them, he had been bet by one of the football players because he was playing football to walk around and walk up to some of us random white kids and just say, Hey cracker, what's up? Mm. Just to get a rise out of people. So 
not a great idea. Um, you know, looking back, probably not mm-hmm. a great idea, but this was how he kind of ingratiated himself with yeah. the team he was on and tried to figure out like what his role was going to be. So he kind of beat us to the punch. Like mm-hmm. we couldn't talk about race because he got there first, right? you know? Um, so in my family, I don't feel like we really ever addressed it. Um, like head on mm-hmm. because it just wasn't in front of us. Right. So the author also talks about if it's not race, how did your family talk about class mm-hmm. or wealth? Mm-hmm. And that I feel like was a little bit more out in the open in my mm-hmm. family. We had in my school district, for example, uh, it's a big area, but like in the middle of our school district is a trailer park. Mm-hmm. And that is, there was a lot of like transient families mm-hmm. that would come and go through there. My dad was on the fire department and ran the ambulance calls and stuff and so often went there. And when he would have to go to a couple different sections in town, trailer park included, um, it was like, oh, what what am I going to be walking into? And so without saying it's because they don't have money, Mm -hmm. we all knew that that's what the conversation was about. Mm -hmm. So like that understanding or like that belief that we weren't there. So we were better, definitely ingrained in. And it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't intended to be negative right. to them. It was intended to be like positive to us. Or like but to, when you boost push one, you, you down, push the yeah, other down. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. I don't know that we I don't know that we talked about class really either, but we talked about different struggles for sure. sure. I mean, my, my parents divorced when I was young and my mom had to go at that point in time, put herself through school. And then she went, you know, she became a nurse. And so it was more about like, these are the steps that you're going to need to take to oh, achieve, sure. to be able to support yourself and to be able being able to support yourself like you like you have more, you know, mm-hmm. so I guess in that kind of a sense, but, or we would say, um, you know, there were, uh, there was a new development kind of behind the high school. So it's like, you know, kind of up on the, up oh, the sure, sure. so that up was the like the, the mansion area, even though uh, none of them are, they're just right. like big, newer construction homes. So like oh, those right. kind of things we would make. Hey, what houses built in the seventies? Built Trying. in the nineties. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's what I mean. Right. Like they oh, yeah, weren't yeah. like everybody else's yeah. house. That yeah. like, oh, you know, you got the avocado green kitchen. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> we kind of I can remember making comments like, oh, that's where the money is. Like oh, things like sure. that. But we didn't really I didn't really understand class and wealth and all of that until I was much sure. older. I know that there were definitely families who we knew had access and I didn't know how they had access. Um, I was convinced as like a teenager, like a middle schooler that it was because, you know, my family didn't grow up in this area and theirs Mm -hmm. all did. And, and that was very true. Some of them, you know, their parents had gone to the same high school Mm -hmm. we were going to, you know, their, our teachers had their, it was like a whole ordeal. Um, but we didn't have that. And so I, that was what I thought for Mm -hmm. the longest time. That's what I thought the connection was. Uh, pretty sure that was not the connection. Like thinking back now, my parents definitely knew that those people had more money than we right. did. You know, like they knew that. They weren't going to necessarily say that, but 
those were the families who had, you know, the brand new right. starter jackets and sneakers. Yeah, I said it was a 90s kid. Starter <laughs> jackets were a thing. Don't worry, I still have my starter <laughs> jacket down in the closet oh, here. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I think that it wasn't necessarily a conversation we had. Right. It was definitely not hidden from us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes my parents tried to play down. I found out later as like a college student how much my, my dad actually did make. And I was like, really? How did we not know, know. this before? Like, how did we not utilize this for right. our benefits right. some more? Right. I don't understand. But like, there was reasons and it yeah. all makes sense. Yeah. But it was funny. Yeah. So like, now <laughs> look back and be like, dang, I had no idea. Right. But yeah, there was definitely some dynamics going on with, you know, who who has power mm-hmm. and who, you know, kind of runs things. Mm-hmm. And so looking back, it was definitely pretty clear, but it was not it a was not direct spoken. conversation yeah. that anybody yeah. ever had. Yeah, there was really, it didn't feel like there was any need. And, you know, even this question of like, our the family's attitude toward people in power. Yeah. I think as an adult myself now, and I look back at my small town and, you know, there are a couple of families that have been there for a million years and the kids that are my age, they do kind of see themselves as living in the, you know, palace on the top of the hill. And, and of course, they're the people that need to read this book. Right. Um, because that, it, that kind of trickle down, you know, and, and I never saw it as a kid. Sure. I see it now and it's, it's kind of sad to me. Sure. Sure. Um, what were ways like as we talk about our childhood or even now as our adulthood, Mm -hmm. what are ways in which you describe yourself to other people? Okay. So this is so interesting. Mm -hmm. I made sure that we kept this question from one of the, one of the little excerpts because we have to do this as an exercise at my job. We had these weird circles. I, okay. So if you haven't heard the phrase teachers are the worst students, we totally are. (laughs) We don't want to participate in your weird activities, but we had to. So we did it. We had these circles and you had to like on the inner circle, like three concentric circles on the inner circle. Like, so it looks like a bullseye. You had to put like the identity pieces that you like hold really close Mm -hmm. to you. And then like on the next one out, it was like, how else would you describe yourself? You know, like what's, what are you connected to, but not really close with. And so like all of us, like all the people that I was sitting next to, we were like, you know, okay, so like close to me, like I'm a mom and I'm a friend and I'm a teacher and all of that. Um, And then like layers out and layers out, like, you know, I, I, I like, you know, I read books, mm-hmm. or I'm a reader, and, you know, I'm a college graduate, like that sort of thing. And it turns out they then read an additional instruction that said, okay, all of those are the things that you want people to see. Now write it another way, write it where that center circle is things that people see about you immediately. Okay. So then you start thinking about like, what do people notice? People notice that I'm a woman, I'm white. I'm married because I've got a ring right. on. Like all of those things that you portray mm-hmm. automatically. People don't know that I'm anybody's right. mom immediately. People don't know that I'm a teacher immediately. Mm-hmm. And just because I hold on to that really, really tightly, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily what other people see that's about really me. Good. It was yeah. Okay, it's one of the very few times that I was like, all right, this professional development activity was fine. And I don't hate that we had to participate in it. (laughs) I a little bit did at the time, but I understood that like, we have to think about it then from like, 
our students' perspectives. Mm-hmm. Like, how, what do they know about themselves? Probably they don't share a lot of it. Right. Like, what do I know? I, I can tell you what that kid looks like. I can guess what their family structure might be like based on how they talk or whether I've had their siblings. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know how they identify right. themselves. That's a really good thing to think about. So, yeah, I got to that part in this book and I was like, oh, my gosh. I guess I should have been thinking about this a lot longer than I right. thought about it. You need to go back and redo that exercise. Gosh. And so like normally, I don't know about you, but I don't traditionally when somebody asks me like, you know, fill out a survey and tell me about themselves um, or tell them about me. I don't usually include my race. Right. And I wonder if that's because like it doesn't carry that much identity. I would think, I would think so. But I have to say, you know, in applying for jobs, even like I kind of get, I feel a little cringy as the kids say mm-hmm. when they ask me my race. Cause I'm like, you know, yeah. like I just, that's so it's that same sort of, yeah. they want to know like what they're going to see right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but the same, I've never, if I were to have, have done that exercise, <laughs> I guess I wouldn't, I might've thought just now with us doing all of this mm-hmm. and just being way more aware, I may have considered you know, saying sure. I'm a, a white, I'm a white woman. woman. Right. Um, but in just taking the question at face value, I would have answered it very similarly mm-hmm. to you. I Right, because yeah. you were like, oh, who am I? I can tell you all about right. who I am. But like, those aren't really the things that people know about you. Right, right. Until you actually sit down and get to know that. Yep. So interesting. Which to piggyback off of that is one thing I love most to do when I meet people is to, I love to hear their story. Yeah. I love to know good or bad. I love to just get to know because I think that brings such a connection too. And that is so connected to some of the other mm-hmm. things that she mentions. And um, at one point she is at a conference and she, the author mentions or asks someone um, like, oh, so what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. And a friend of hers, a colleague or whatever at the conference pulls her aside and is like, do you not understand that that is such a white person thing to ask? Because not everyone identifies themselves by their, by their career, their job, because maybe it isn't their passion. It's just a thing that they do. Right. Why are you opening with that? And, you know, to kind of read her spiral out about that was super interesting. And I think it goes to the idea of like, we as white people mm-hmm. are probably need to understand some things about what it means to be white. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you remember? Or like, what do you recall from this? Or what do you think is important that people understand about what it means to be a white person? I know. Um, well, I have one expert that kind of goes in with this that I read. Um, well, I don't know if this is going to fit into this at this moment, but um, I would definitely agree that with what you're saying, because I do think that kind of goes back to where people say we all have our struggles again, also a very, you know, like white person thing to say. Um, and I, I now I, you know, cause, and I used to say that too. Sure. I used to say that too. I used to be like, well, I, I struggle. Right. I mean, you know, have we, I think that we all, we as white people really do need to understand our, our whiteness yeah. and, and what that looks what like that to, to other people, yeah. because we really do, regardless mm-hmm. of our struggles in the past, I do not have, I have never had to struggle because 
you know, I've never just been pulled over because yeah, yeah. I've never been in the wrong neighborhood and been pulled over because, or, you know, or something like that. Right. So, um, I don't know. I think, I think you're right on the mark with that. Like we really, I think there are some things that we need to be mm-hmm. just aware of that. What, when we show up somewhere, mm-hmm. someone who is white passing, it looks like a white person. Um, we don't carry around any of the extra like assumed baggage, right. whether it's, it's real or not, right. people automatically look at someone who is darker skinned than mm-hmm. either of us. And they make some assumptions really quickly. Like, Oh, you're not, you're not traditionally from here. Where are you from? Right. Why are we asking people that? Like they probably are from here. And like, yes. what do you do? Like, do you even have a college degree? Because a lot of that, and that was one of the things mm-hmm. that she, that colleague of hers mentioned was like, when you ask, what do you do for a living? It sounds like you're asking, are you qualified to be here? That's such a good point. That is really a good right. I like think about yeah, for yeah, that one. because I am notorious. Like <laughs> that's kind of my conversation too. Like when you're trying to like get to know someone, and like that's kind of one thing I always fall back to is like, well, what do you do? And that really is an unfair question to ask because um, it's first of all, it's really none of my business, right? And second of all, it's none of my business because what if they don't have a job and they're embarrassed about it or, you know, whatever the case is. Right. So you don't want to put them on on the the spot. spot. Yeah. I think it's interesting that so many of us open up with like, Oh, what do you do for, I know. What am I going to talk to any person? 90% of people out there. What am I going to have to say about like their job? I have some friends who work for, um, I don't know. One of them is like, she does billing for a, I don't know. HVAC. I don't know what she does. Right. And she has explained it to me multiple times. And I'm like, okay, that sounds, it doesn't actually sound that interesting. And I don't know what I'm supposed to ask her about it. Why do I care? And I hate telling people what, not telling people what I do, but trying to describe. Yeah. Because like, let me show you the job description. There's 50,000 bullet points on it that this is, this is what my day looks like. Right. But you know, but to the same point, like we've had friends that consider themselves like they're in a more professional type sure. of a career versus like Brett and I Blue who are or even just like, like an office job and that's what I have always done is I, I work in an office whether right. I do marketing or contracting sure. or whatever but because I'm not like I don't hold like a special license or right. something you know then they kind of take that to be like for sure guess what color they are mm, <laughs> um so I did have my one expert that I stood out to me in this it's it's in her I think it was in the introduction but to me it was like really it set the tone for this whole book sure. and it that was truly what when I because I heard about this book and I was like you know it does sound like a really good read I read it like you know my summer before last when I was when I first yep. was told about it and I was like all right I'm gonna give this one a try and then the more I started reading that I was like oh my god okay now I gotta keep on going <laughs> so what she says today and I think this is like the telling point for me. No one alive today created this mess, but everyone alive today has the power to work on undoing it. The other thing that was in the same paragraph, mm-hmm. um, okay, American racism is all twisted up in our cultural fabric, but here's the loophole. People are not born racist. Racism is taught and racism racism is learned. Understanding how and why our beliefs developed along racial line lines holds the promise of healing. And that is where I stopped because that was like, yeah, oh my God. Right. And that, that drives what we're doing right now yep. to make 
the, the learning about how we got here mm-hmm. and going back and addressing how we got here. Yep. Definitely plays a huge part. If we don't understand where we came from, if, and I right. don't mean like where we came from. I mean, if we don't understand how the system came to be, mm-hmm. then how could we ever possibly think that we can change it? Yep. You know, and I think... Like, like when we started this, I was telling you how within the last five years, that's kind of when my eyes have started yeah. to really open up the last two years, especially. And just in my learning, I learned last year on Juneteenth why we have police. Right. That police, the police job was created to keep to slaves, slaves under control. Mm-hmm. And that I think is still so ingrained in the, in right. the community yeah. And, you know, so that. Even though none of us experienced right. it as that. The, it, the way, way that, that it's. Yes. yes. What that, it, that was so telling to me. Cause I'm like, okay. Cause you know, all along you're like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Okay. Here's a good start to solving the mm-hmm. mystery. And, um, you know, and I, I, I also, you know, they've talked about over the last couple of years too, of like movies, remain mm-hmm. remove like old movies, removing. Mm-hmm racist parts of it. And I remember saying to my parents, we were talking about, um, I cannot think of the name of the movie. It was out in the thirties or four, fifties, sixties, one of you know, old, old, old movie. And I was like, but if we pull that out Mm -hmm. of a movie that takes away the history of what happened. So I don't look at that as like that movie promotes racism. To me, I look at that as like, that tells me exactly what it was. And you know, the same with like, taking down statues and stuff. To me, that's something that happens. So maybe we leave those up, but we put a new plaque that says, this is who this is. This is really what they did. So, um, but again, this is like, it's all just like learning and understanding. And I think that's the two biggest Mm -hmm. things is trying to learn, trying to understand. And um, this book is so impactful. I mean, again, I could have, I could have, I think it's also very accessible. It is. Where it it doesn't over talk you. It doesn't, you know, drop big words and make you think that you're, you've missed the movement Mm -hmm. and you have some catching up to do. She literally outlines that she started from scratch, went back to school, took a college course and was hit in the face with a whole lot of things she didn't know anything about. Exactly. And I think that that makes it feel manageable. Yep. There was another part that I just felt was so, so good. Uh, racism is not unsolvable, mysterious, or a tug of war. There is an explanation for how America got so tangled up with racism. Ironically, racism, the great divider, is also one of the most vital links that we share, a massive social dysfunction in which we play a role. Yeah. And so I feel like this book is just such an honest and open Mm -hmm. and vulnerable story of one woman's account that Mm -hmm. like... Even if you don't, even if you don't think in your mind that you have these thoughts, because, mm-hmm. you know, truthfully or that. And as that, yeah. that quote goes, like, if you don't even realize that you play a role, that's where kind of where I'm going. Like, yeah. you, you don't think that you think this way or, you know, and a lot of people that I know who may say things like, I don't see color or right. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like that doesn't mean you're racist because you, you know what right. I mean? Like or you're a bad person. Or a bad person. We all have the capability to right. open up our minds and yep. realize because the first time I heard that now we, now, right. we, now we don't, now we see the color. I was like, Oh my God, what? 
Then I said, you take a step back and say, okay, what does that mean? And then I realized all that that means (laughs) is that we acknowledge that people are different. And from there, you're able to get to know the real person. You're able to understand what they have gone through. And again, this generation, we did not start this quote unquote, right. but we do have the power to like we are doing, we have the power to do yeah. things to help other people understand and, and make a change, you know? And I mean, that's, that's where after I heard, after I heard that, we don't, we now see the color. And then I took the time to really let that sink in. And it took me a little bit to really understand the strength in that thing, you know, and then, and to understand, like, I guess that would be like, it would mean the same to me because then someone would get to know who I am Mm -hmm. on the inside Mm -hmm. and, or, or I see your color. I understand. And I acknowledge that that has, that maybe been a hindrance for you Mm -hmm. in your life. And I understand why you face challenges that you face. I think the biggest part of the pushback on that is that it empowers people who have color to acknowledge. And like, I mean, we all do not, we as white people do not all have the same story. Right. But we've kind of all accepted a a, like simplified, cleaned up, like scrubbed Mm -hmm. down version of like, yeah, most people act like this, you know? Mm -hmm. And then anyone who acts differently from us or has an experience differently from us, we have centered ourselves as like, we're the norm. And anybody Mm -hmm. who's different from us is different. Yeah we kind of flipped that and said like, you know what? You guys have the power to share about your story yes. now. And now I, and I want to hear it. Yes. And I want to know it because what that does for me, how that impacts yeah. me is that helps me to be a better, you know, friend, friend yeah. you know, colleague, colleague yeah. coexister in this world for you. Yes. So for sure. All right. Let's take a quick pause before we wrap up this book. Hit it. Here we go. All right. Irving writes, either I'm intentionally and strategically working against racism or I'm aiding and abetting the system. How does that statement make you feel? It, You know, I understand it, but I'm also several years into my journey. <laughs> I, okay. I, I do agree. If, I do feel like if I'm not doing the work that I am kind of going along with it, you yeah. know, it's party guilty by association. Um. And I certainly don't want to be that. I want to be an ally in <laughs> any way that I can be. Yeah. Right. So um, I do. I do agree with that. I statement. do too. Honestly, I think that that was probably one of the most like pushing mm-hmm. statements. That like, if I were to, I don't know, purchase copies of this book and put them in the mailboxes of people who complain about things in mm-hmm. our community or something, that that part might you know, rub them too, too rough. Like mm-hmm. it might be too close to, oh, I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far yet. But I think that it's what people need to hear. It is. That like, if you're just gonna, if you're gonna be complacent in what is happening, mm-hmm. miss it and let it happen, you're not helping. And if you're yeah. not helping, you're part of the problem. You know, like how yes. many times have we been told that? If you're exactly. not part of the solution, you're, you're part, part of the problem. problem. And honestly, that's what I have really, that's what's released in this whole, two, going on to your journey. What has really stood out to me is that, there are people who kind of know that they're they are they're aiding and abetting, mm-hmm. and they're okay with that, and that bothers me to the core. But yeah, like people that are just like, I don't want to, I don't want to learn. I'm comfortable mm-hmm. with who I am. I don't, I don't subscribe to that because I think on with any given topic, yeah. you want to 
learn. You should want to make yourself more aware and make yourself be well, and, and opening yourself up to, to listening yes, to other yes, people is just, not yes. scary. It's really not. It's really not. It, <laughs> oh, if someone has a different story from you, how interesting. You watch yeah. different stories on movies and TV shows all the time. You can listen to someone who lives in your town. Exactly. Exactly. And they're Bottom not going to bite you. Bottom I line. promise. be real weird if they did. Right. <laughs> then we'd have another story. Okay, right? another, I don't know. Yeah. But I don't think that it takes that much to be an ally. No. Like, I mean you know, make those small shifts and, and Irving addresses, you know, some of the things that she doesn't do anymore. She doesn't open up with, Oh, what's your job? She automatically, you know, pulls out her ID mm-hmm. with her credit card. Cause she knows her, her um, people, the people of color in her life have to do that. Yep. They're immediately questioned for their ID when they present a credit card. She says if she's ever pulled over, her hands go on the wheel because that's the expectation yeah. of everyone else in the community, and she's not going to pretend like she gets special treatment. I love that. And acknowledging that yep. you can do the same expectations, do the exact same things that are expected of the people around you, mm-hmm. just live in their shoes as best as you can. Yep. You don't need to live in your privilege if you don't have to. I agree with that statement a thousand percent, and I actually... I hate that she had, you know, that it, people have to do those things like when they get pulled over and when they, but I think that it is great that, you know, why should we be exempt? Yeah. So I think it is great to just say, if you're going to do it to someone else, you're going to do it. You to might me. as well. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're going to wrap up here. This yeah. was another great discussion. I highly suggest this book. And I really think if we yeah. were to go back into time, my, these are my, the first one we did, The Hate You Give, and this this book, Those are Growing the Up White, would be the, the, the two you need to start your journey. Yes. Um, one is fiction, one is nonfiction. You will get so much great knowledge out of both of them. For sure. So we will continue to read and learn and hope that many of you read and learn along with us. If you would, consider sharing this podcast with your friends who may also be on a journey of educating themselves about advocacy and anti-racism. We can all start small to bring about change. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us for our book chat. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to find us on social media and recommend us to your friends. We hope you'll continue to join us in the journey to change the world by starting small.